Yes, happy Mother's Day. If you would take your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. We'll get there in just a minute. If there's one aspect in all of life that is so important, it really is relationships. We're either looking for one, we're either in one, or we're recovering from one. We are so relationally wired that it deeply affects some of the deep parts of our lives from the time that we're born until, well, the time that we die. And I believe it's so vital that we're growing in our understanding of this area because many of us here, we lead children. We want to have a productive life. We want to have productive relationships. And ultimately, hopefully everybody here wants to reach people for Jesus. There's the old nursery rhyme that we're familiar with, Jack and Jill. I love it, but it really does kind of show how love can kind of whack your brain and fill your bowl full of crazies. Because you know what it says. It says, Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down, he broke his crown, and Jill came tumbling down after. Who goes up the hill to get water? Crazy, sick people in love, probably. But we see Jill following him up. And it's interesting because in relationships, many people end up stumbling down the hill because, well, they just want to enter into the perfect relationship and perfect companionship. They're hoping that when I find that person, and it might be a friend, it could be a spouse, that they will give me everything I ever really needed. I don't want to burst your bubbles, but that's not true. And that will never happen. But hear me, God did create us to be relational creatures. That's why, I mean, from the very beginning, we see the, we see the relationship of the Trinity, Trinity, where it says, and we created the earth, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He was the first, that was the Trinity, was the first community. So we see how important it is. <clears throat> Romans 14, 7 on your notes there says this, for none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Now what's important about that verse, it's in the context of how we live before the people around us that we don't cause offense and everything, but ultimately the principle is, is listen, you're not an island unto yourself. And relationships are critical and important because ultimately they shape us. And there's two level of relational yearnings that we have. The first level is human relationship. It's one of the reasons that God gave us a desire for the opposite sex and for for friendship and to spend time because he he made us to want to enter in to that level one relationship of humanness. But sometimes we, we, we put so much emphasis on that, we forget about that there is a level two. There's another level. And it's deeper. It's so much more profound. And it is ultimately the way that our ultimate needs get met, and it's through our God relationship, ultimately as we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. French Christian philosopher and mathematician from the 17th century, Blaise Pascal said it this way, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person, and it can never be filled by any created thing or being. It can only be filled by God, made known through Jesus Christ. Problems come, pressures happen. 
We put pressure on people around us when we want somebody to fulfill both of those levels. And, And let me, you know, a lot of times we look to our spouse to do it, to fulfill both of those levels. A lot of times we even look to our kids to fulfill those, those voids that maybe we don't get from our spouse, so we transfer that to our kids, and then we get disappointed because they can't do it. But hear me, loved ones. There's no person in this world that will ever be able to fully fulfill you. I don't care how good they are. And so many people get into to relational hill tumbling like Jack and Jill because that's what they're looking for. People start talking. When you start hearing somebody go, well, you know, they're just not meeting my needs. They're just not turning my crank. I'm going to start looking somewhere else. I'll tell you, that's probably a person that doesn't have their eyes and their focus on Jesus Christ. Now, hear me, listen. There are legitimate situations. There are relationships where I do believe people don't meet the the needs that they can and should meet of other people. And sometime I'm probably going to do a series on that because some of us just have to simply grow up and take responsibility for who we are and where we are. But I'm talking about in some general ways, there's nobody that can fulfill all of your needs. See, we forget that God put man into a deep, 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 I mean, he anesthetized him, kind of a divine, uh, anesthetized him just divinely. Remember when he put Adam down in a deep sleep? What did he do? It says he took a, he took a rib. And out of that rib, what did he do? He created Eve. And I think that there's some really important principles from that because he said, I'm going to create this woman from you, from your side. Why? So that she can walk, uh, she can walk alongside of you. Uh, not, not to lead you, not to lag behind you, but to walk side by side with you. But what happens so often is, is women begin to expect that man to fulfill every one or all of their needs, and then they become disappointed because they can't. And can I just tell you something? Ever since man, woman was created from man and that rib was taken, he's been missing something ever since. No, seriously. And there's only one perfect man that has never had anything taken from him. Who is that? That's Jesus Christ. And sometimes we have to understand that in this relationship dance that we're so involved in, that ultimately he's the only one that can ever hear you 24-7. He's the only one that can not only listen to your words, but hear your heart. And sometimes the greatest longing in your relationship that you're missing, not always, but sometimes it's the Lord leading you back to him to pursue him. See, the problems become when we're asking a person to fulfill that God void. And then this pressure begins to mount, and pretty soon it's, well, I'm tired of Jill. I like the way the other girl walks up the hill, so I'm going to go after her, or vice versa. I mean, she's probably not going to trip me like, you know, once her name did. So many people, we end up moving from relationship to relationship instead of building a good relationship and giving what we can to the best of our ability and growing in it, but making sure that we're always pursuing Jesus. Now, here in 1 Corinthians 13, I want to read some, a passage, and I, I'm going to start in verse 8, and then I'll give you a little bit of context. 
Chapter 13, verse 8, it's this common passage that so many of us know of, and we can quote it probably, and we hear it at weddings. But it says this, love never ends. Excuse me, let's, let's go back up to verse 4. It says, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it's not boastful, it's not conceited, it does not act improperly, it is not selfish, it is not provoked, it does not keep a record of wrongs, it finds no joy in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth, it bears all things, it believes all things, and it endures all things. If you skip down to verse 9, it says this, for we know in part, we will prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. I believe the perfect referring there, there's different scholars that believe differently, but he's really referring to when the perfect, when Jesus comes at the fulfillment of time, that's when full understanding will come. In verse 11, this is one of the things I want to look at today, is when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, when I became a woman, I put away, I put aside childish things. Now, Paul's writing to this church of Corinth here. It was one of the most, Im- it was one of the most gifted churches in the New Testament, but it was also one of the most immature. I mean, it, it was just an out-of-control, sin-soaked, crazy, whacked-out church. They thought they had so much going for them in their pursuit of the supernatural things of God. But they did it at the expense of balance and maturity. They were just like a bunch of kids going wild. And so Paul writes here this epic, this, this, this statement on love. And that's what all of 13 is about. And he says, you think you're so spiritual, but ultimately it's how you love that is so important. And he says, spiritually speaking, if you're growing and maturing, you're going to begin to put away some of these childish things and beliefs. That's the context that he's talking within. But I believe, and I'm going to apply it for our personal lives. And and it's really true, isn't it? There is a time that as you mature and as you grow, you will put away childish things. You will grow up. What is one of the greatest indicators of being an adult and a maturing person? Is that you take responsibility for your stuff. You don't deny it. You don't don't hide it. You say, I'm going to own that, and I'm going to work on it. I'm going to take responsibility for it, because I'm going to begin to put away some of those childish, immature ways and grow up. See, when it comes to relationships, we have to learn from our past. Not get focused on it, but we have to learn from it. From the beginning of growing up, it's greatly impacted us, our home, our parents, those significant people that we've been exposed to over the years. It affects us in so many ways, and so many things get built into our lives. I told you I had three mothers, and I think on my column, I think I wrote this, put it in there this week, but I learned something from every one of those, even though one of them I didn't know, one of them I didn't like. And, but, but yet God used them to shape me. But as, as we grow up, guess what happens? Every one of us has either built into us places where people speak self-confidence and security and a degree of self-worth and give us a sense of personal competence that somehow growing up, those things affect us, affect us usually in the negative when those things happen. 
The other side of the equation is we have the potential that, we're, uh, that when we're taught that we pick up these other little messages that we have worth and we have value. And there is confidence given to us, spoken into us, and where we grow up with a sense of worth and security. What happens, though, is, is when, when, when either way, either in the good or the negative way, as you grow up, guess what happens? You grow up and you begin to grid everything in your life through that. Somebody says something to you, you'll either hear it through this insecure, in, insecure and lack of self-worth filter, or you'll hear it through a sense of worth and value filter. It just depends how you grew up. But this is the truth of the scriptures. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that behold, when we come to Jesus Christ, all things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Here's what Rabbi Riley Stein says. You may be imprinted by your past, but you don't have to be tethered to it. See, I know I am, I am deeply imprinted by my past. But I am working as much as I can not to allow that to be the thing that tethers me. See, one of the reasons that such great care of loved ones should be taken as we build our families and our relationships is that we understand as we've grown and gotten older, there is this little boy in every one of you men. And there's this little girl in every one of you women. And we don't like to admit that, but it's there. Wouldn't you all say amen to that? Yeah. Honestly, when you think about it, two people don't get married, do they? It's four. <laughs> it's that boy, that man at the altar, but there's that little boy in him. And then there's that, little, that pretty little bride at the altar, and then there's that little girl in her. And you've got four people coming together in marriage. And deep down, I want to say there's this really wonderful, deep, depth of maturity in my life and that I've arrived in this place because Jesus has made me so different. And he has in some ways, but there's still a little boy we all deal with, a little girl. We'd all like to be able to say, oh no, I've cut the ribbon from the past. My past doesn't affect me. And then I would go ask your spouse or your children. Well, yeah, that little boy or that little girl shows up every now and again. I'd probably venture to say that this last week you faced some things where that little boy or that little girl said, I don't like this. I don't want to go there or do this. I don't like what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, and what is taking place. And may I just remind you, that is still some of the childishness that, is, that wells up from within us that we all still have to deal with. See, there are things, loved ones, that have greatly affected our lives, but the Spirit of God must teach us according to and through his word how to grow beyond some of the damage of our early years because I don't think we can deny it. It's there. It has affected us. Whenever two people, listen, whenever two people struggle and go through a difficult time for a long time, I believe it will usually be traced to this truth. It's the little princess in the girl that says, I want my way. <laughs> and 
It's the little boy in the man that says, I want to go play. I didn't hear any amens, but I did hear some nervous laughs. Because isn't that true? And that's usually how it is. It's the princess and the player. I don't like this. I'd rather go fishing. But because we're not being changed or we haven't identified it and admitted it and repented of it and said, I'm going to grow in and through this, it becomes difficult for us to move forward in our relationships for God to do everything that he wants to do. So as we look back, we begin to see how those days of our youth have affected us. And there'll always be this potential for these mindsets. These are the key things that I think I see quite often is some of us feel like we never measure up to anything. And so we allow that to kind of become the dictating force of our life. Growing up, it didn't matter what you brought home. If you brought home B's, your sibling brought home A's. And your parents looked at you and said, how come you couldn't do that? Or how come you can't play sports? How come you sit around and do this all day? I can't believe, you know, you could just never measure up. So then you go, okay, I'm gonna, and I believe it's good to challenge your kids. Hear me, okay, but, 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 but to always compare and to have these high expectations that maybe they just can't reach. So they come home and one day they go, mom, dad, I got B pluses all across the board, no C's. How come you haven't been keeping your room clean? You know, some of us have grown up with that, haven't we? And some of you, we can sit there and go, yeah, yeah, that's kind of the way it was. It didn't matter what I do. It was either not enough or there was always something else or I was always being compared. And that's why the Lord, loved ones, wants to deal with the things that we know need to be dealt with in our hearts, in our lives, so that there can be this sense of self-esteem and confidence that doesn't come from the world around us but comes from our Heavenly Father so that we don't live in this, in this negative way and woe is me and never being able to move forward because ultimately you want to be able to develop this in the people around you and your children. There's some who feel they just never measure up and you translate that into a, into a man or a woman when they're older and you do. You have this little boy that wants to play and you've got this woman that wants to be the princess but they'll never be able to feel like they can measure up to anybody or anything. Second effect that we'll oftentimes have as we grow up is the potential for selfishness. Now, the focus here isn't kids and marriage, but it may sound like it, but this is, I'm going to get to this, and, and there's, there's application for every relationship that we have. All relationships. If I'm given everything I want all the time, it will begin to breed selfishness in my life. Have you ever noticed that? And if you begin to live that way, and all of a sudden you're living this selfish life, you know what's going to happen? You're going to come to a place in your life where you're going to say, I want it no matter what, and I'm going to get it. I don't care if anybody says no, I'm going to go for it. And you begin to see people who, who begin to manipulate and work and do everything they can to get whatever they want because that's what they're used to. You just can't tell them no. That's not a healthy way to grow up. And it's a less healthy way to live as an adult. I mean, have you ever seen a baby? Babies are cute. I love babies. But when they start crying, can you imagine they get hungry, you know? You're hanging around a baby, and all of a sudden they're sitting there, and, they, and you know they're hungry, and you got something to do. If, and they're just, wah, 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 you know, just going after it. You can't go, oh, little sweetie pie, just quit. Dude, just, just 10 more minutes. That little baby doesn't know 10 minutes from nothing. They know one thing. Feed me, feed me, feed me. <laughs> and they demand and they expect 
And that's what happens with a lot of young people growing up. They demand and they expect and they get. And then that breeds the selfishness in them. And then is it any wonder later on in their teen years they become promiscuous? Because that child has never been dealt with. That child has never been faced. And you know what? Promiscuous living is childish living. I'm sorry, but it is. Because what it is saying is I'm not going to wait for God's way. I'm going to do it in my time, my way. And I don't care what anybody else says. Screw it. It's because that little child, it wants, it demands, it's going to get. And see, loved ones, somehow our life is filtered through all of these things that so greatly affect my life, whether it's, it's, it's insecurity, never measure up, or I've become a selfish person. But yet Jesus, the Lord, wants to work through us. And he wants to, to extricate that from our lives. He wants to heal us from us heal it from us so that it doesn't affect us personally and doesn't affect and bleed in to our relational orbit. 1 Corinthians 13 says that we are the kind of people who build relationships around this description of love. It's a real picture of those who walk in the spirit of God, who love God and say, I want to be changed because I want to look like the God that I serve. And I, and I will deal with this little princess in me, or I'll deal with this little boy in me that always wants to play and not take responsibility and grow up. And I, wanna, and I, and I, and I say this to you in great love, that, that you can do this in your marriage. You can do it with your kids. You can do it with the people around you. Mother Teresa was once asked upon receiving the Nobel Peace Prize, what can we do to promote world peace? This was her answer. If you want to promote world peace, go home and start by loving your family. Now hear me, this is a love that, that is a biblical love. It's not just a warm, syrupy, you know, turn him into a princess or a little boy that likes to play all the time, but it's a godly love. And I want to just give you four things that I think that the Bible wants to teach us and remind us of. If we're going to build our life around the relationships that God gives us, there's a whole bunch of stuff we could say, but I want to just give you four things today. And the first one is you've got to be patient. He says love is patient. It's the first thing. One way to greatly affect people's lives is to be patient where you're willing to wait. You're willing to be long-suffering. If you love somebody, guess what? You will give them time, and you will give God time to work in them and work things out in their life. You just will. It's always true. It's always true of those who have experienced the love of God that they'll be patient with the people around them. This is hard. But I think it looks kind of like this. If you've got a child that's on drugs, you're going to go to them and you're just going to look them in the eye and you're going to sit them down. And you're going to say, listen, I love you. And I'm going to be here for you. And this isn't going to be easy, but I'm going to make sure you get through this. And I'm going to love you through this. And it's going to be tough. And it ain't going to be easy. But we're going to get through this. It isn't just slam the door. It isn't just yell at them. It's I'm going to work with you. And I'm going to love you. And that means that there's going to be very practical things. But ultimately, love is patient. And you tell, I'm going to pray for you, and I am going to work with you. Because I believe God 
will deal with this and work through it. I've discovered this. If you are impatient with yourself, guess what? You'll be really impatient with others. The more impatient you are with yourself, the more impatient you will basically become. If you're not good at letting God work in you and trust that he is at work in you, and if you can't set yourself to cooperate with what God is doing with you, and I don't mean this laissez-faire, well, if God wants to do it, he'll do it. I'm talking about where you get up and, and daily you're saying, Jesus, what do you want to do in me today? What do you want to change in me? What do I need to change? What do I need to repent of? If you can't live that life and be patient and say, God, thank you that today I got up and, and yesterday this happened, and so today I want to see this happen. And I blew it, but I, I, I see that I didn't do it as quickly. If you can't be patient with you, you will not be able to be patient with the people around you. And you know what I find? Most people aren't perfect, especially all of us. If you want to be a man or be a woman, be a home that is going to grow in the love of God and see people change, you've got to be patient and have a long-suffering heart where you let God work in the heart and wise of the people around you. And when it doesn't happen fast enough, this is what you do. You say, you know something, Lord? I'm going to trust you to work in them because I see that they're walking and working with you. And you speak that into them. Second thing is, is you'll see that it's, it says, Be kind. Be kind. Don't mistake kindness for niceness. Niceness is just kind of sweet and syrupy. But kindness, biblically, it is love and action. It's never passive. It is assertive. It is, it is actively engaged in doing good. It's the idea the word comes from, uh, from two things. It comes from the word hospice, which is a place of shelter, or hospital, which is a place of healing. And what he's saying is, is I want you to be. I want the marks of someone who moves in the love of God and is going to build healthy relationships in the people that they're raising up or around them. You're going to be a person that becomes a place of shelter and healing for the people around you. Kind people are those who can take hurt and turn it around for good and still be kind and be loving. When you've been hurt, you can still, this is hard. Amen? But when you've been hurt, if you're a kind person, ultimately you'll be able to take that bad and you'll turn it around for good and you'll be able to move beyond it. You want to help this with your kids. You want to help this with your spouse. You want to help this with your employees. You want to help the people around you with this? Then you be kind because that's the only way they're going to probably learn kindness. Well, how do you become kind? You want me to tell you how you choose to. Well, doesn't God do it? You know, I got to tell you, I just wish God would zap me. I just wish he would, like, this, 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 he'd take this wand and he would just go, voila, Terry is perfect. And I know you do too, but that's not going to happen. You know what he does? He works you through it. And he puts you in situations where guess what? You're going to have to be kind. You're going to have to choose to be kind. And the more you do that, guess what? Because the Spirit of God, 1 Peter 1, or 2 Peter 1 says that God has given to us, listen, everything pertaining to life and godliness 
He has, when his spirit comes in us, guess what? He enables us and empowers us to live this way. So now we just get to live out the choices that he's already put in us. But every day, you want to be a kind person, then you're going to have to choose to be kind. You have to be kind to your spouse when you don't want to be. To that little princess when she wants her own way. To that little player when he just wants to play. To those kids when they don't want a kid right. That's how you become kind. You choose to always look for ways to express kindness because you've experienced the touch of God. And everything in your life will be filtered through that. The third thing is believe. One of the best ways to build confidence and security in a child, in your spouse, in the people around you, in me, is to express faith. You want to make me feel good? Write me and tell me. Well, don't bother, but if you wanted to. I got people that go, well, you know, pastor, you did this for us. How much do we pay you? I says, don't pay me. I don't want any money. What can we do? I said, do two things. Thank me and tell me why it was meaningful for you. You know why? Because that's what builds me. That's what gives me confidence to be able to move forward. Well, doesn't Jesus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus gives me confidence. I know how he feels. I could come up here and, and vomit, and Jesus would go, oh, well, boy, you, you went there, and you were sick, and you still did it. What a great son, you know? But, but if, if, you want, if, you, if you want to help people move them along, believe in them. If you want to build confidence in someone and security, let them know they're doing right. Whenever people around you who are loving people and are growing in Jesus, they are people, it says here, who believe all things. Now hear me, it's not some kind of silly, naive belief, you know, where it's flattery and, you know, the person's failing miserable and you say, oh, you're the greatest. That's stupid. Or, but, it's, but, but, but a person that believes does it this way. A person fails or missteps and they go, they don't go, well, there we go again. Been down this road before. How many times are we going to travel this road? Now they go, you know something? I, I, I believe you're going to change this because I love you and, and I know that God loves you. And you speak belief into them that they can do better. Last couple of weeks I've talked about my grandpa and that's what he did for me. And the reason I talk about him is because as I've just gone through some things in the last few months, I've realized that, man, so much of what is in my life has come from Grandpa Riley. There's this thing called, it's a, it's a social psychological concept that was originated with Charles Horton Cooley back in the 1900s. And he called it the looking glass self. And he said that this starts with a person, that this grows, a person, how they see themselves, their perception of them is how the, what their perception is of how the most important person in their life sees them. Well, the most important person in my life was Grandpa Riley. When I was growing up, and I told you the story about starting to smoke one time, and he came out and and, and, and I was in sixth grade, in between fifth and sixth grade, and he said, you know, I just believe so many good things about your life. You'll never want to do that stupid habit. 
And I didn't. Because he spoke that into me. Oh, come on, are you serious? Well, looking self-glad, I wanted to please my grandfather. When I went through high school, I had more freedom than any kid in the school. Because my, my, my parents were divorced, and I had all this freedom. And my friends, they would do this and that and the other. And there almost always came a point. This is before I, I knew hardly anything about God, but, but he, his grace was watching over me. I understand that. But there would be these times where I'd go, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. Because I knew my grandfather. You know, my grandfather always told me, he says, Terry, I just know you're going to make good decisions. I just know you're, gonna, you're, you're just going to do good in life. And that's how he talked to me. And so throughout my whole life, that's, I says, I wonder what grandpa would think. But now I got this loving Savior. His name is Jesus. And can I tell you what I hear him saying to me most of the time? You know, Terry, I've been watching you. And you're making some pretty good decisions. I mean, they're not perfect. But I'm watching you. You're making some pretty good decisions. And and you're working hard to overcome some of these things of your past. And that's how Jesus speaks to you if you listen to him. Jesus will speak what's good towards you because he believes the best in you. And he speaks grace and life towards you. Not condemning, not belittling. Because he says, I want to get this person moving. And when Jesus becomes the most important person in your life, when he becomes the one that you're trying to live for, you will want to live for what he says to you. You'll want to live for those words of affirmation. It wouldn't matter what anybody else thinks. You want to build a person's life? Fill them with strength. Help them overcome their past and and speak and believe in them that you trust them, that you know they will do well. I make it a point now. If somebody around me generally messes up and I'm counseling with them, one of the last things I'll say to them after I pray for them is this. I believe in you. You know why? Because I understand, listen, I'm just like one of you, but God's given me this voice and he's given me this position of authority. Paul said it this way in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. He said, I have given you authority not to beat down, but to build up. And I have just enough authority in a number of people's lives that when they leave me, I better be building them up. And the best way I believe I can build them up is when they're in a bad place, they can know that their pastor believes in them. You know why? Because Jesus does. And sometimes we forget just to believe in people and let them know it. Last thing is endures. It says love endures. You know what this really has to do with? It's kind of a loyalty to the end. Hebrews says it this way about Jesus. Jesus endured till death on the cross. This is what I'm learning about this whole thing about love. Love will always see more in somebody, and because it sees more in somebody, it will also see less. Think about that. I can see everything about somebody, but because of everything that I see, I can still see less in them. Because I don't have to focus on all the stuff 
that God's trying to work through in them. See, love sees the price that Jesus Christ paid on the cross and the convicting power and presence of God's spirit. So you know what I'm learning as I've gotten older? I don't have to solve everybody's problem. I don't have to fix anybody. I just get to believe in them. I get to love them. I get to patiently endure with them. And I get to walk with them and tell them that there's a Jesus Christ that believes in them, and so do I. And then I get to be enduring until the end. I don't have to solve every problem. I can simply believe in and hope for the best in people, knowing what Jesus can do. When I was in school, some of you probably did this. I had notebooks and a couple of girls that I just kind of fell in love with. I drew a big heart and I put initials TR plus DH, which basically said, I love you, Danielle Herman. Short little blonde, I mean brunette and long, long flowing brown hair, beautiful. I'm sure she loved me too. (laughs) She never told me but I'm sure there was something there. Well, two weeks later, she wouldn't pay any attention to me. And uh, so then, you know, a few weeks later, somebody else, I'd scratch out DH, and then i put LS, Leanne Stone. And I'm sure Leanne loved me greatly as well. But that was just young love. See, the problem with all of that is, I know it's young and little kid stuff, But see, there's a depth of love that so many people never experience. Why is that? Because we really have this belief or understanding or thought from our culture that you just fall in and you fall out. You fall in and then you get tired of it or it wears out. And see, loved ones, that's not the Bible at all. See, the love of God that speaks about here in 1 Corinthians 13 is about this enduring love that endures to the place of dying on the cross. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't fall in love with you and scratch out your initials when you screwed up? You know why his love is so enduring? Here's a scripture for you to write down. It's Isaiah 49, 16. You know what it says? The reason his love is so enduring, the reason he is so patient and kind with you and with me is because he says, you know what? I love you. And your initials are engraved in the palm of my hand. That's what Isaiah 49 says. That our names are in the palm of his hand. Friends, love is such a scarce commodity in this increasingly self-centered world. But thankfully, the risen Lord Jesus knows that And he comes to fill your hearts, my heart, with this growing and perfecting and unceasing love that ultimately it will cast out the fears. The fears of our insecurity that we grew up with. It will cast out the fears of this this princess that's got to have their own way of selfishness. It will cast out these fears of insignificance, fear of rejection, thought that maybe nobody could really love me, so I got to demand my own way and push my own way and get my own way because nobody else will love me enough to help me get to where I need to go. That's what the love of Christ does. As we sit here today, all of us, listen, hear me. 
All of us have our stuff. And I will say this with great confidence. If you sit there and think you don't have anything, you would be a very difficult person to live with. Because see, our, our idea of normal is what we are. If I didn't think what I did was normal, I wouldn't do it. But it may not be right. And that's what the love of Jesus comes to do. He says, I want to make you a people that as you build your relationships, you're going to be more patient. You're going to be more kind. You're going to be more gracious. You're going to own your stuff and you're going to look at your spouse. You're going to look at your employees. You're going to look at your children. And you're going to go, you know something? I, I, I'm just, I'm not there yet. Forgive me for this. And I just, I need to continue to grow in the love of Christ. There's things that have touched my life in my past that I'm still growing through. And please forgive me. And that's the person that Jesus in his spirit is working in. <coughs> And the only way to get through that stuff is to acknowledge it, repent of it, and choose to move into the love of God. Amen? Would you stand with me? And Just bow your heads for a moment. And Father, we come today and I'm just so mindful of relationships. They're so fragile. They're so tender. But we must never forget they're eternal. You died for people. Two things that will last from this life. Your word and the souls of people. And I pray, Lord, that we would be people who would continually be challenged by your love so that we could be people who are building love and security in others and confidence so they can go forth in, in, in confidence in God. That because maybe we've been damaged, we don't have to damage other people out of our insecurities and fears. That we can teach our boys how to be men, not players. That as women, we can teach our daughters how to be women of God, not little princesses that demand our own way. And Lord, for those of us who have just experienced some of that scarring and some of that stuff from our past, I pray that today you'd help people to identify it. And to show them that, behold, all things are passing away. Behold, all things can become new. So that we can be relationally gracious and strong. Does anybody here today that you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ? That's the starting point. I believe our healing will always be stunted until we come to the great lover and ultimate healer of our soul. This one who died on the cross, who's etched your name in his palms, you get to receive him. Because the Bible also says that not only is our name etched in his palms, 
But then there's another book in heaven that says our names are etched in the book of life. Everybody gets it on his palms, but we have to make the decision to say, would you put my name in the book of life for eternity? And if you have never done that today, I encourage you to say yes to Jesus Christ and invite Jesus Christ into your life so that you can follow him. You may not understand it, but it's the greatest decision any man or woman or child can make. And I would invite you just to simply say this prayer, something like this. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me enough to die on the cross, to put my name and to have them engraved and imprinted on your hands. I am a sinner and I ask you to forgive me. I want to receive your life today. I want to follow you. I want to become a person who's healed and who loves. I receive you today in Jesus' name. And if you just say a simple prayer, something like that, just a heart response to the love of God for you, I would encourage you before you go to mark on your slip today, your connection slip, just say, I, I committed my life to Jesus or I renewed my commitment. I want to grow in the love of God. So thank you, Lord, for these precious people. Pray your blessing upon them as they go today. Let them celebrate, let them enjoy, and let them become lovers of you and lovers of people. In your name I pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. Lord bless you. You're loved. Have a great day.